Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to Midi the Podcast, a modern day podcast designed to answer all of your weird and wonderful pregnancy and postpartum questions. I'm your host, Monique Maitland, qualified midwife and nurse founder of the Midi Society and someone who is about to become your personal in-pocket midwife and virtual best friend. The Midi Society is a community-based platform where we interview leading healthcare professionals, new mummers and everyday people who share with us their experiences and reveal what they wish they knew before becoming a parent. So buckle up for this crazy and exciting ride. I'll be talking all things tits, bits, spew and poo. All right, let's get started. Today's episode is proudly brought to you by Tommy Tippy. After 50 years of supporting parents around the world, Tommy Tippy have learned the truth is everyone's every day is different, and that's okay. From extraordinary highs and incredible lows, from breakfast to bedtime, what hurts is thinking today's different isn't okay. Tommy Tippy are building a new community. A place where you can feel reassured without feeling judged. With the right tools, support and impartial guidance however and whenever you need it. Because the truth is, there's extraordinary power in your everyday. So share it and discover our community that welcomes and supports other parents just like you. Tommy Tippy offer a range of award-winning infant feeding, sleep, soothing and hygiene products. They're loved by babies and parents in over 70 countries and have been supporting parents for over 50 years. Find them at tommytippy.com.au or on Instagram and Facebook at Tommy Tippy Australia. They have kindly given me a discount code for all my MIDI listeners. So if you're listening and you're looking for some new Tommy Tippy products, use the code word TTOffer15 for 15% off site-wide, excluding bundles, deals and teats. This is valid until the 30th of July, so getting quick, ladies, you don't want to miss out. In today's episode, I speak with Lucy Morrison about her motherhood journey. After a long conception journey and having to overcome one of life's cruel and unexpected challenges, Lucy found herself finally to be pregnant with that baby that she had always dreamt of. After a positive spontaneous labour and instrumental birth, Lucy ran into some troubles during the postnatal period, including breastfeeding difficulties and her battle with postnatal depression. Living in London away from her family and friends, Lucy highlights the importance of seeking help from others. Please welcome Lucy. Hello everyone and welcome back to Midi the Podcast. Today I am joined by the lovely Lucy. That has a really good ring to it, doesn't it? (laughs) So Lucy, (laughs) can you tell us a little bit about yourself? So I'm Lucy. I'm 28 years old. Uh, At the minute I am living in Kent in the UK with my husband and how old is he now? 11 and a half month year old son, Percy. Um, and yeah, I'm just, I'm just back to work. So I haven't been back to work long and I'm a HR assistant. Amazing. And Lucy actually was from Melbourne originally and actually yeah. lived a couple of minutes away from my family home. And we went to same the same primary school, but Lucy was a couple of years ahead of me and yeah somehow our worlds have collided again and here we are recording this podcast yeah all of a sudden midi just like popped up on my spotify <laughs> and I was like oh I know that surname 
Oh, it's so amazing. Such a yeah. small world. <laughs> um, but Lucy, do you want to tell us a little bit about your pregnancy journey? Yeah, sure. Um, so me and my husband, we were trying for a baby. Oh, so we got married July 2018 and I think we started trying in the November of 2018. Um, and I always sort of, I just had this feeling that it would be hard for us to get pregnant. So my, um, my mum and dad struggled to have me. Um, they, they did get tested. I think, you know, back in the nineties, like I think they were given the diagnosis of unexplained infertility. So they didn't actually, they didn't have IVF. They didn't do any sort of treatments or anything like that. And eventually I think they just got a bit lucky. Um, Yeah. But I just always had in my mind that like, I've always wanted kids and I just knew that this might be a bit of a struggle. So, uh, and I was right, sadly. (laughs) So um, Mm. yeah, I was like tracking my ovulation, um, trying to eat all the right foods and and all that and it just nothing was happening my periods have always been really irregular like my cycles are can be anywhere Mm. between uh, like 45 and 60 days so I just had nothing really almost to to go off for the tracking as well yes eventually we went for more sort of like tests and investigations um and which were then so by this time because you can't sort of get anything on the NHS um, until you've been yeah. trying for a year. So I had to wait a year and then go to the doctor um, and then they they booked me in to see a specialist, uh, which was then put off by COVID. <laughs> so, um, oh, no. yeah, which, you know, it's just, it is what it is. Um, and I need, because I needed a, a couple of tests. I needed a chlamydia test. That was one thing that before they they do anything they needed me to be tested for chlamydia but they weren't doing any clinics so um so yeah I had to yeah wait a couple of months and then they emailed me saying we're you know we're opening we're starting to open back up again this is the summer of 2020 um yeah so yeah so and that's my... June time. Your that's June, July in yes, oh UK my gosh, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the season. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I guess this yeah June it was. Um, had my had my chlamydia test and they said yep you're all good so you can come in for a high cozy. It's where they they're testing for um twisted tubes and blockages. So they put mm. the um they put like a balloon into your uterus to kind of blow everything up and then they put it they run a dye through to see like how it's traveling mm. through each tube that's so interesting yeah it's a it's a re- like it's very painful <laughs> so yeah he was, um, I bet. yeah he was like you're just gonna feel some pretty intense period cramping and oh whoa it was like oh my goodness um but yeah. you know but it's it's it is over pretty quickly. Just to reassure anyone, if they have to have it done, it, it's over really quickly. Yeah. And they there was no blockages, which was good. Um, and they tested me for polycystic ovary syndrome and nothing. Um, so yeah. basically, my cycles were just really out of whack, and they just sort of weren't sure why. Um, so yeah. they they prescribed me 
uh, Clomid. So you take it from um, days two to six of your cycle and then and then go for some internal scans. Um, mm. So I got prescribed. So it was like it was such a absolutely crazy week because I – yeah. Got got my results on the Monday. That was all good. I got prescribed. I was like, yes, this is so exciting. You know, we're actually, you know, next period we can actually start trying and something might actually happen. Yeah. Um, but on the Saturday I got a call from my mum that my dad had passed away really suddenly. So mm. and that was just horrendous. So I had to then obviously having a baby got put on the on the back burner a little bit um because I had to work out how to get to Melbourne during the pandemic um and Mm. yeah so yeah long story but I ended up being in I ended up spending four weeks with my mum but was in Australia for six weeks because I had to do the two weeks quarantine in Perth yes and then fly over to Melbourne because Melbourne wasn't accepting any flights um and then Fred had to go back it was just I can't like, even imagine how awful that would have been like yeah honestly I I obviously saw a couple of situations similar but not mm-hmm. to that extent and there like my heart goes out to you and your family that had to go through that thank you it was it was tough but to be honest like I had Fred with me and I don't know what I would have it would have been so much worse if he wasn't able to to come with me mm. um and he bless him he because he only got um he got because le- it wasn't his dad obviously he got less personal leave um so he came yeah. for the he came for the two weeks quarantine flew to Melbourne had one night in Melbourne and then flew home so he basically flew to Oz just to be in the hotel with me which is so Aww. amazing yeah it's so true love so lovely yeah indeed indeed <laughs> so obviously then we weren't in the same country so you can't really have a baby if you're not in the same country <laughs> um yeah makes yeah, sense <laughs> yeah you know <laughs> just simple biology so I got back from Oz August sometime and um so we just started trying right away with these um with these new pills um so I uh, the first round, not, I went had, to, had the internal scan and she's like, oh, there's not much going on. I can't see any follicles or anything happening. Give it a go, but try mm-hmm. again next month. Um, and so, yeah, next period, I, I, I did it and then had the internal scan and she, uh, the, the doctor was like, oh, this is looking really good. You need to go home right now. <laughs> you know, and, and get it, get it done basically. Um, and we had been like having, (laughs) having timed in intercourse before that as well. And I've been doing the whole, um, all the tricks I've been doing all my yoga, all my Pilates, like, you know, instead of, I, I look back at it now, it's so funny. Um, instead of like, you know, basking in that like afterglow of sex, I was like, okay, legs up the wall, like golden thread breath, yeah. you know, I'm like all my mantras kind of thing to just like manifest this happening. Um, yeah. Which is not so romantic, but you know, you got to do what you got to do. You're certainly not the only one. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I was about, I, I, I didn't want to test because I'd had so many negative tests before. So I was putting it off and putting it mm. off and putting it off. Um, I think I got to, I was like 17 days late. And I still didn't 
I just didn't want to test. Um, and, and Fred said, you know, you really need to because you, you might be, but if you're not, it'll probably bring on your period. If you, if you get a negative test, that's often what happened, you know, brought on my period like the same day. Yeah. So, you know, I took this test and I thought, oh, I'm not going to, I was so negative, you know, it's not going to be it. I'm not going to be positive. It's going to be negative. It's going to be negative. And it just like went bang. Yeah. The positive sign was just like so clear and came up so quickly. Yeah. And it was just, oh, it was just the best feeling. You know, I had to, yeah. I was like, Fred, is this real? Like, am I dreaming? Is this real? Am I awake? You know, what's going on? And it was really, it was really, really special. Well, naturally you had like, you um, I guess protection guard up because you had done so many tests and you'd been trying for what two and a, 2018 till yeah. 2020, so like yeah. two and a bit years. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot of negative um, test a results negative automatically. Tests. Yeah, automatically your brain's just going to put those protection um, mechanisms up to try yeah. and protect yourself and. I just can't even imagine how special and amazing that would have oh, been when you found out you are pregnant. So lovely. It was just, yeah, the best, such a good feeling. Um, and then, yeah, and then I just walked, I just walked around for the next couple of days like I had this big secret <laughs> and I was just so, you know, it was really lovely. Yeah. And in a time where I'm sure, you know, there had been some challenging, really challenging days and you'd been through so much already that would have just given you finally just this bit of excitement and joy and happiness back in your life that I'm sure that you were feeling a bit low with yeah definitely it was just the biggest you know felt like a a reward for all our hard work and yeah yeah yeah, so it was it, it was it was great And for people out there, I guess, who are listening and who are trying for a baby and haven't been successful, could you sort of share, you know, when you're getting those negative test results, how you were feeling and what I guess you did to try and keep going and change your mindset from a negative to staying optimistic and positive? Yeah. um, I mean, yeah, it is, it is awful to get those, to get those negative results um it's yeah it's really heartbreaking because you just because you feel like you've been doing all the right things you know you've obviously you've been like tracking your ovulation you've been eating right you've been you know asking for advice and taking all these crazy supplements and I think Mm. yeah infertility um, and this is a surprise to no one infertility can be real is really expensive um you just mm. constantly feel like you're paying out for things. I mean, I've never done IVF, so I can't even imagine like the cost of that is just astronomical. Yeah. But um, I just wanted a, I, I wanted a baby so badly. And I just, you know, I, I guess one thing that, that made me feel better is I knew that I had started like investigations quite when I was still quite young so, you know, I, I yeah. knew in that way I sort of had time on my side. Um, hmm. But I, I would just, I mean, me and me and Fred, we spoke about, um, we spoke about adoption and that kind of thing, you know. So our, our biggest focus was as long as we have a child, you know, we just want, we wanted a child to, you know, nurture and love. So no matter where 
that comes from you know that's 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 fine for us um I mean I did speak to you know I spoke to my my mum about it I spoke to my friends um and although they may not be able to relate to you because they may either not be sort of in that then they're they're not having kids yet so they're not in that like little space of life yet you know it's just like a a problem a problem shared you know shoulder to cry on sort of thing amazing and I mean I guess I asked you that question because you know a lot of women out there do struggle with infertility so this is just their reminder that they're not alone and so many women unfortunately have to go through this which is just cruel but if there's any way that they can to keep staying positive and optimistic, you've just given them some reasons why. Yeah, yeah, you, you, it's it is so amazing when you do get your your special your special treat at the end, your gift. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I guess throughout your pregnancy as well, you were injecting Clexane. Um, yes. Do you want to explain to the listeners a little bit why you had to do that? Yeah, so um, I had back in oh, 2014, I had a, a DVT, deep vein thrombosis in my leg that travelled and broke up into my lungs. So I had a, I had a load of blood clots in my lungs um, and that was from flying and being, I was like, I was on the pill and flying at the same time. Mm. So because of that, I always have to be careful with um, anything that's, you know, that's going to put me at risk of a, of another blood clot. Um, so anytime I go on a long haul flight, I have to do Clexane. Um, Mm. and yeah, basically I think I, you you fill out your, um, past history, you know, when you go for your first midwife appointment and I, that put me at, that was like a bit of a red flag. So, which was in a way quite good because I got a, a lot more free scans and a lot more like, attention from the consultant <laughs> which was which was which was good um because I think my anxiousness needed that um needed that peace yeah. of mind so yeah so from six weeks till six weeks after Percy was born I was injecting so Clexane or over here it's called Fragman um so it's just like yeah. a little um subcutaneous needle that you stick into your the like fattier bits of your belly and body yeah <laughs> it's still not very nice and oh yeah no yeah clexane is a blood thinner so we give it to women like lucy said for things like that but also if you have a cesarean and you're in hospital you will get clexane for usually three days post birth yeah yeah so but you know it's it's for the it's for the best and and it didn't um it didn't affect percy at all it can't can't affect the babe so yeah yeah, which is amazing that we can do things like that. As your pregnancy advanced, can you share a snapshot of your labour and birth? Yeah, sure. Um, so I was, I mean, yeah, towards the end of all, all during my pregnancy, but more towards the end, I was like extremely anxious. Um, I went in about, I'd say like, 12 to 14 times for reduced movement um because mm. and just got yeah got him checked always because I was just so scared of of losing him and um mm. yes yeah, so I was sort of very very anxious wasn't wasn't sleeping that well um 
but you know the midwives are always happy to to have you in to to um have you know yeah. have, your, have your movement checked and they never make you because you sometimes feel oh gosh is this a bit silly but they never make you they never make you feel silly they're always like this is you've done the exactly right thing and you know always come in you know even if it's tomorrow come in again they always you know yeah want to want to yeah. help um for sure and we'll never judge anyone that comes in no. because you know we trust we trust the woman I literally just put a post out before saying trust your gut like always go with your gut because your gut instinct is always right and you know peace of mind for you to go in and get it checked because if you don't you'll sit at home and you'll even get you just more wor- worried or oh, more anxious gosh. yeah and just you know yeah and and in the end you know you're probably going to go in anyway so why not save yourself the t- the time of worrying and yeah. just just go in don't lay there all night thinking oh you know is this yeah is this right um and when you say your anxiety heightened towards the end of the pregnancy did you experience any anxiety or any depression previously to being pregnant um I've also I've always been an anxious person always like a always a worrier um always a like deep deep thinker and like thinking about the what if so Mm. yes that was very um that was very like you know familiar to me um depression no I I don't I I don't know that I'd I'd been depressed before um I think in some ways because I because I just lost my dad and then I got pregnant quite quickly after I didn't I kind of almost put my grief in like a drawer and I was like see ya we're not we're not dealing with this now we've got other bigger fish in my mind bigger fish to fry sort of a thing um Mm. so yeah I so I guess I wasn't dealing with that um and I had a bit of a wobble at at Christmas in 2020 um because I mean we were we were all locked down in in the UK anyway so we weren't it was you know you were all locked in, in your house for Christmas so that I, I did mm. struggle. I, I did sort of have a, a real day of like, oh my God, my dad's not here. He's not going to meet this baby. And, you know, and oh, my mum's mm. all, all the way over the other side of the world. And, I, and at that point I had no idea when I'd see her. Um, so yeah, things, I had my, I had like little sort of bleak moments, but I'd say that sort of more intensified once Percy was born. Um and I and to be honest, during my pregnancy, I was just tr- fo- trying to focus on like staying, st- staying as positive as I could. I d- I did hypnobirthing, so I was doing, um, you know, my re- my relaxations and mantras and and all that. I I did put a big focus on preparing for like labor and birth the best I could. Um, because I amazing. Know, I, I did perineal massage. Um. Mm. Yeah, which I didn't like doing, but I knew I had to do it. <laughs> which didn't yeah, I was well. Say, how did you find that? Uh, it's just, it's just uncomfortable, isn't it? It's just, I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world, but you're just like, oh, I'd rather not do this. But you know, I knew it was, I knew it was good. Yeah, and then when it got to the labour and birth, you had all these tools that you had 
already created for yourself, which is amazing. And hypnobirthing, I'm a very strong advocate for that because the education and knowledge that women get and their partners get from that is just incredible. It really um, is. How did your labour and birth go? So my labour was brilliant, I reckon. Um, I, so I sort of – I think so anyway <laughs> – so I, yeah, was, I love um, that. I'm like, yes, share yeah, it away. I yeah. love all these positive birth <laughs> stories. So um, I was oh, I was five days overdue um, and they off, they'd offered me a sweep and I said no. Um, and then they had me booked in for an induction. Um, I, I don't know what it's like in Oz, but I always find this really funny. She was, you know, she kind of, my mid, my community midwife did put a bit of pressure on like, we need to get this baby out because you know, lists all the risks of being too overdue. Um, and so I was like, okay, well, book, you know, book me in for an induction then and then I can just hope to go mm. in before, Think, you know, because you kind of made it like we need to book you in for an induction tomorrow. Um, and she was like, oh, I can't actually get you in till Monday. And I was like, well, was it a big, you know, how much of a rush are we in or yeah. are you just, you know, but I understand like there's just so many people they want, they need, not want, need to get through the system. So they need to have things booked in. They unfortunately can't, yeah. can't wait for all of us to go in. Yeah. It yeah. should not be like that though. Uh, no, absolutely Which, not. Yeah. I mean, we could have a whole debate on us inducing women for multiple reasons, yeah. if we, whether or not we actually should be or not. But that's not the point of this episode. Yeah. So keep However, keep I'd going. love to hear that episode. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so I, but I went, I ended up going to labour naturally, which was really good. Um, um, I had um, TENS machine, which I, yeah. I felt made loads of difference. I wasn't originally going to hire one. Um, and then my friend said, one of my friends who'd had a baby quite recently was like, they are actually really, really fantastic so did yeah yeah, so which is just crazy isn't it because it's not not actually pain relief it's just taking your mind off the pain is that am I explaining yeah it tricks because it yeah it's pretty much like the control gate theory if anyone knows that um term basically a tens machine is tricking your brain because the tens and the probes they pretty much are sending little shocks into um your skin and then your brain picks up on those pain stimuli rather than focusing on the contraction um Mm. if that makes sense so it's i guess distracting those pain receptors to focus more on the back pain than the actual um contraction itself yeah which i just think is it's, I mean, so clever. And that, that really did work for me while I was at home. So I sort of labored all day the Monday, but they were quite like, I would say mm. low level contractions, very easy to breathe, breathe through. And obviously I'd learned the breathing from, um, from the hypnobirthing as well, which was worth its weight in gold. Um, just yeah. to have, have those breathing techniques is just, I, to me, they made such a difference. But I, again, I was quite lucky. Percy was in a great position. Um, he was, you know, not not back to back or anything like that. So he was sort of ready to ready to go, basically. Um, no. So I, I laboured all night the Monday, um, 
so I let Fred sleep and I just came out into the lounge and <laughs> I wish I had a camera on me because I was just crawling around like an animal, like on and off the ball, on and off the couch. I got into the bath, um, which was absolutely amazing, but it stopped my contractions because it was too good. Yeah. And I was like, damn it, I'm going to have to get out, <laughs> even though it was so lovely. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. I mean, not always will bath stop contractions. It's no. more if you do get into the bath in those early stages of labour, it can sometimes slow things down a little yeah. bit. Yeah, yeah. So I, I knew that if I'd stayed in the bath, it, it wouldn't progress as, as just as quickly as I would have liked. So, um, so yeah, got out the bath um, and just, yeah, was crawling around here. And then sort of by, I'd say half past six in the morning I you know I was really mo like really moaning and sort of having just having trouble like you know keeping mm. keeping a keeping a lid on it basically so I said Fred we need we need to go to hospital um and he because yeah. I put him in charge of like all the communication with the hospital I didn't want to be didn't want to be disturbed so um yeah but he was they they told him that her contractions need to be um they need to be a minute long and 2 minutes apart and i was only getting to 50 seconds and my husband so fred is like a real stickler for the rules he's like well you're not on 60 seconds yet and i was like well i am feeling like i need to push so <laughs> i yeah. can feel myself We're bearing down we need to go so so yeah we did um and and yeah, they they checked me, and I was when I when I was being triaged, and I was um, seven centimeters already. So I was really happy that I'd been able to like get there um, before going into hospital because that was one of my fears, like going in and then being sent home. Um, yeah, but yeah, luckily I wasn't. Um, yeah, so unfortunately there was no room in the birth center because I I wanted the pool, I wanted um, no uh, yeah. little or no medical intervention. But um, at so the hospital I gave birth at was Darrant Valley. There was three times the amount of women giving birth in July in 2021 as there was in 2020. <laughs> so it was just mm-hmm. you know the COVID baby boom oh, all over the world. In, in, insane. But here they were saying there was there's no bo- there's actually been no boom looking at statistics, and but the midwives were like that is just so false. Like there are, we are just so busy. There are so many women coming in to give birth. So yeah, there was no room, no room at the stables in the birth center. Um, So they popped Mm. me onto the delivery suite and I had an amazing midwife called Claire who'd had, she had a quick scan of my birth plan. Um, That obviously I'd written a really long one (laughs) and she sort of got the feeling of, you know, what me and Fred were like as a couple. So she, I'm going to try and make this as like birth century as possible. So she, you know, dimmed the lights and she did what she could basically to make the room feel calm and hmm. yeah. And she, yeah. So where, excellent. what sort of room were you in, in more of an assessment room than like a birthing suite? So it was, or you just didn't have a pool. So it was a, it was a delivery suite. So I, it just had, um, it was a room it, by myself, which was good because you don't know, sometimes you do have to give birth next to other women. Um, and it was what? just, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of people here. 
that is crazy. I mean, I know that it can happen, but we try not to. Of course, yeah. One of my friends gave birth on a um on a plastic chair in the um in the sort of like hallway because there was just no room. She gave birth in May last year, so you can imagine like things are things are tough here sometimes with the with the health system. Um, yeah. So I was. It, it's just a room with like a, oh, you know the the like beds that the the bottom can sort of drop away so you can be like squatting or here or or they can bring like the stirrup yeah. or blah blah blah. I don't, I don't know what they're called, but yeah, quite a clinic yeah. like quite a clinical looking space with a little ensuite. Yeah. Bit. Um, whereas the birth suite is obviously like, you know dim lights and music and the pool and but you know maybe next time um Mm. yeah so she she checked me again and um oh my so my waters had broken by that point um just you know during one of my contractions just popped and that was a really nice um tiny bit of uh relief actually (laughs) that the pressure had gone yeah I'm feeling better now and then she's like "Mm, things are about to ramp up so um yeah so basically I got on got on the bed and started and started pushing um and I didn't want to be coached I wanted to breathe the baby down but this is where things get a bit funny because I just wasn't given that I just wasn't given that choice mm-hmm. almost she was like you know you need to get this baby out she was t- telling me you know and I I wanted to give birth on my front but um she kind of she didn't force me on my back at all but you know she suggested and I was just pushing and pushing and pushing and his head was coming down and then he was getting kind of sucked back up because um as it turns out he had the cord wrapped around his neck four times I think so he was just you know getting pulled back in every single time he was trying to come out basically um and she was um checking his checking his heart rate and it was not recovering as well um yeah and but I just knew like as soon as she called a doctor in I just knew some kind of medical intervention was going to happen um yeah which I was did you feel scared at that point yeah terrified I was like I don't want an episiotomy I really don't and she's like I'm I'm sure you won't have to have one and I was like oh because that was really my worst fear um because yeah, I because I, I did so much research and reading before. I think, in a way, it, it muddied my view of um of like the the types of births. Basically, in, in my head, and this is the honest truth, I thought if I have an episiotomy, like like sex will never be as good again. I'll be weeing myself because I'd read all these horrible things. I really thought like, well, this is like a death mm-hmm. sentence for my sex life and you know my incontinent my continence and um so that mm. was just I really 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 didn't want it um but obviously when you're faced with that decision of like well, your baby's heart's not recovering so well you know what are you gonna do yeah you have to go with it so yeah the doctor came in and by that time I sort of knew it was like all over <laughs> unfortunately um mm. so yeah I did have to have an episiotomy and um, Percy was delivered via the Vontus vacuum thing. 
Um, and, and that's pretty much, I'm just going to quickly um, yeah. jump in and interject here, but pretty much um, what Lucy's described is um, she was being monitored and the heart rate. So when we're tracing the baby, if we pick up that the baby's, when I say tracing is like monitoring the baby's heartbeat and we pick up that it's not recovering to its baseline. So it's normal value after a contraction. It sometimes can show us as midwives that they're struggling with their oxygen and they're just getting tired, like what mums do throughout their birth. During that pushing stage, you are exhausted. And every time the woman pushes and her uterus contracts, the baby gets squeezed. So that oxygen supply sometimes gets um, like kinked off and you know, they need more time to recover in between contractions. But sometimes they're losing their oxygen stores so they don't fully recover and that's usually when you might see some interventions occur. And I think in Lucy's case, the doctors came in and thought the best thing was to try and deliver Percy sooner rather than later. So they do put that – it's almost like a suction cup – on the baby's head and it they pump it up and it suctions onto the top of the baby's head and they basically pull with a lot of force to try and help whilst the mum is pushing to get the baby out and the reason for an episiotomy which I have seen Vontus been done without episiotomies um, it's obviously dependent on the situation but often any sort of instrumental delivery via Vontus or forceps the practitioner will most likely cut an episiotomy and that's because they will try and create more room for the baby if they think that they need it. So that's what I think has happened in that situation. But if you want to keep um, explaining what happened next, Lucy. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, but ba- basically what what you said, like he was, he was getting tired, I was getting tired getting really tired but he Percy was also getting really tired and like his um I think because they're just they're sort of like right in that canal at that point aren't they so the head is like being Mm. squeezed and they yeah they just don't want him to get too distressed um because he might poo at that stage and then I'd have to then it would be like oh god you know we really have to um get things Mm. moving um so yeah but he I to be honest, he only needed such a tiny. He needed one pull with the Vontus, and he was out because he yeah. was he was uh, six pounds six. So I don't know what that is in mm, two point something kilo. Two point nine kilos. He was. Yeah, yeah. So he was he was measuring well, small. Um. So mm. yeah, he he just needed that tiny little pull, and he was out. And then she, um, I can still hear her hear her voice she was like oh he had the cord wrapped around his neck the little pickle and so she just like Mm. untangled him and and there he was and it was just like I'm getting like emotional even thinking about it it's just incredible your your little babe is like popped up onto your chest and it's just and they're all slimy and it's like I don't know warm and it just it just felt right like it just felt so right um and yeah it was and we had a really nice um golden hour do you yeah that yeah yeah so we it was just beautiful like he was just on me um and trying to feed and we were we were cuddling and settle into the postpartum period during that time you ran into 
a couple of problems. I know that you you had to stay for closer monitoring because of the previous history of the blood clots. They just had to make sure that, you know, there was no blood clots there and I think you were experiencing some chest pain um, with that. But then when you sort of got home and got stuck into more of that initial postpartum, fourth trimester as we call it, you did have some difficulties and I would love to dive a little bit deeper into this because it's often what so many women face when they get home and, you know, for you, you were on the other side of the world to your family in the peak of the pandemic, minimal support um, from family and friends and, yeah, I guess let's start by some of those challenges that you faced in those early newborn stages. Yeah, so I think having a longer stay in hospital didn't help um, because obviously, I mean, I wouldn't probably have gotten any sleep here anyway, but I just was so sleep deprived and um, mm. and, the, and the midwife, you know, they were so busy. They really, really wanted to help, but they just, they, they just couldn't like, mm. um, so I, most of our initial problems started with feeding, basically um as soon as Percy was like trying to feed you could see his there was something up with the latch he couldn't he couldn't get it basically um Mm. and uh, a midwife said something to me that was I I don't think very fair and it really did affect me for months after she said, unless there is a, unless there are, you are having a medical emergency, there is no reason to give this baby formula. Um, mm. And I just took that with me for months thinking like, I mustn't, I mustn't give him formula. I mustn't yeah. give him formula. He has to be breastfed. He has to be breastfed, which obviously I wanted to do anyway. Um, yeah. But I just, you know, his, his latch was, was really, really poor. Um, it was super, super duper shallow. So I, you know, had the, like a lot of mums do, like the cracked and bleeding nipples and, um, but it just got to the stage where, you know, he'd cry for a feed and I would, you know, my skin would like, oh, mm. like, I don't know, you know, my hairs would stand up on end. I was like, oh, not again, not again, sort of thing. Um, mm. And because his latch was poor, he wasn't getting very much milk anyway. Um, so he, yeah. he's constantly hungry. He's, you know, we never had that like sleepy newborn stage because he was like, I'm bloody starving. Um, yeah. And and it was just, it was a, it was a really, really hard time. And I, I gave myself such a hard time. Um, and because, you know, the s- support, um, like, locally obviously we were still you know anything that you booked was still over zoom and I couldn't afford to pay 90 pounds for a lactation consultant to have a look at me sort of Mm -hmm. over the camera um he was diagnosed with a tongue tie uh which I I don't know how much that was the issue um I mean tongue ties are really common and in, in fact, everyone on my postnatal ward, the because there were six of us in this postnatal ward, and you can, you can obviously hear everyone having their assessments. Every single baby was diagnosed with a tongue tie, and I'm like, mm. oh my god, it's it's either so common or it's possibly misdiagnosed. I don't know, but um, yeah, yeah, um, yes, yeah, so we did. 
it, it, they, they did refer us for a, a tongue tie reverse, a uh, reversal release. or whatever release. There we go. Um, yeah, but it was like in months time and I, I sort of, I didn't want to wait cause I did want to like get our journey up and running. So we did go for a private tongue tie. And it's such a simple procedure and often like in Melbourne, um, they can do like the lactation consultants in the hospital. If they identify a tongue tie and have the discussion with the family, they'll cut them. All they do is pretty much get this, yeah, get a sterile packet of scissors and you give the baby some sugary water to help with their pain relief and you lift their tongue up, dry it off with their gauze and you just snip the little bit um, underneath the tongue and, yeah, just pat it dry with the gauze after with the bleeding and the baby still like feeds straight after and yeah, yeah. all is good. Yeah, they sort of get on the boob straight away. Um but it, it didn't make it it just didn't make a difference for Perse. He he was already sort of mm. used to the shallow latch and um yeah, he was quite a he he's funny. He can be really really stubborn even as a babe. He was like little Lord Percy. He was like, "No, no, I'm doing it my mm. way." <laughs> Um, and, and often it's something that you can't control. Like, you know, there's just some babies that are naughty and, Mm -hmm. you know, you persist and you persist and you persist, but it doesn't work out. But I'm sure that contributed to a lot of anxiety and stress about feeding your baby. And like you said, every three hours or less when he would want to feed and the thought of doing that when you're already in so much pain um, persistently, it would have contributed to a a lot of anxiety and then you put that together with no sleep. You're already sleep deprived from before he was even born because of the labour and then, you know, you go through labour, you're exhausted, you birth, you're still exhausted. These early days are so tough and even not so much. I feel like I've touched on this before, but with my sister, Emma, who had a baby four months ago, you know, in those first couple of weeks, you know, we're very lucky. We have such a good family and she has great support. And obviously I was there to help her. Um, But those first couple of weeks were, you know, tough, but manageable because of the support. But then people go back to work, you know, people like you've got it under control. And then all of a sudden she just hit this point where she was like, I cannot do it anymore like I just can't I can't breastfeed anymore I don't want to do it I feel like he's taking everything from me and I don't I don't feel like me anymore and Mm. you know she was so sleep deprived and just exhausted that I was like I'll take him for as long as I can you get some sleep and you know she had a good I think two hours sleep and that's what she needed and she came back and was just like oh my god like thank you like I just feel so much better now and she's been breastfeeding since and you know that's what she needed just some someone to be like go do this I'll look after him and yeah yeah Yeah. I mean I yeah I and Fred's family are a mate they are they are great they are so lovely and helpful where they could be but it's not the same as having your mum and your because you can't yeah. It, you know, we we are. I am close to them, but I I, you know, I can't. I don't feel like I can ask the same things of them that I would my own family. Um. Yeah. So, yeah. So it was a lot of it was you know, fr- like Fred is incredible and did help me out so much. Um. Yeah, he's 
he was excellent but obviously he can't help me with the feeding um at that point while I was still breastfeeding and I just felt absolutely worthless so depressed that Mm. I was you know like failing this baby that I had wanted so much feeling so guilty Mm. for hating breastfeeding like to be quite honest like really really like did not enjoy it obviously because it was painful it didn't you know and it didn't work out and I just gave myself such a hard time um and then it wasn't until I spoke to we had a like a health visitor appointment when he was six weeks old um and they get you to you know they they weigh him and measure him and you know and, and he was he he was at that point being supplemented with some formula um so he had you know re- like was putting on weight so that was all fine and she sort of said you know okay he's all good but what about you and I was just you know because mm. she could tell I wasn't in a good place basically and mm. she had me fill out this like m- this mental health assessment form and um which I was really scared to do I was really really scared to do um and she said you know, no matter what you put on this form, it's not going to like cause any action. We're not going to take your, we're not going to take Percy from you. You're not going to go on any sort Mm. of like list or social services list or anything like that, which I was so afraid of. Um, Mm. So yeah, I, I filled out this form and she said, I think you really do need some help. Um, so I got a MIMS assessment, like maternal, it's like maternal mental health basically. Um, Mm. and so yeah, had a, had a lady come to the house and for a chat pretty much. Um, yeah. And before I guess having that discussion, had you identified that potentially you were feeling, like this you're feeling depressed and you were starting to think differently to what you previously were had you identified that at all yeah I had um I probably wasn't being honest with myself about it but I I had like I was definitely in a very negative headspace I was terrified to like leave the house um I just thought something bad was going to happen. I was having like uh, visions in the, and, and that's what I was, because I kind of thought I was going crazy. Um, I was having, you know, visions in the day of bad things ha- happening to Percy or Fred. I, um, and, and, and that's like, it was like my brain had like, was completely off track. I thought Fred was going to leave me. Um, I, when I, when I did get some sleep, I was having these horrifically graphic dreams of Percy being hurt or not, or him being lost or, and me, you know, that kind of like that, that classic dream of like, he's on one train and I'm on, I'm on another and I can't get to him. I was having, Mm. and I just thought, am I actually going, like something snapped, like, am I, going crazy Mm, going insane Um, yeah yeah absolutely I just yeah I I thought you know and so it kind of made me more nervous to talk about that because I I felt like oh my goodness um 
and and Fred had definitely noticed as well and you know he he was like you should you need to get some help um and uh yeah so I had this I had this assessment at home and I couldn't believe that all these things I was feeling were so common and so normal and I just mm. feel I'd never ever heard of um phantom crying for example you know when you're when you're taking a shower and you can you can hear so clearly your baby crying so you get out the shower and they're asleep and they're not crying mm. and you know or because sometimes uh you know e- even when Percy wasn't in the house like Fred had taken him out for a walk in the pram I could hear him crying and I just thought what like but it's it's all so so normal um, and and so common, you know. I I don't know what the statistics are about postnatal depression. I think it's like one in one in eight or one in four women mm. um will, ha- will like be affected in some way after having a baby. Um, and like that was just a massive weight already off my shoulders was that this is common, and you know I'm I'm not alone basically. Um, yeah. But like many things in life, no one, I I don't, no one in my life had ever spoken about that. Um, mm. So it was just, yeah, a real, a real eye opener. And, and from there I um, was able to access lots of support because she put in a referral for me to go to this um, pet, like parent support center, basically that we have locally we, who are incredible. It's like, right. It's a chat. It's a charity and um, sort of run by uh, n- like nursery workers, I guess. And you can go in and mm. it's, it's you know, it's nothing flash. It's just a big room of toys for the babies and kids. And you just chat to the, to the women there who are, who are so super lovely. And I also go to a postnatal depression support group there um, mm. who are incredible. Um, and, you know, and this is all free, which is just so I'm so lucky that there's something like this in the area um yeah yeah and I was also referred to my GP to um like discuss antidepressants and then I ended up being uh prescribed sertraline an an antidepressant basically um which has made the world of difference um yeah you know the the first couple of weeks of taking it were tough because I was you know, you feel like just a low level nausea. This is what I found anyway, a kind of a low level nausea. Also really, really hungry all the time, but not wanting to eat because you kind of feel a bit sick and also so exhausted, so tired. Um, but kind of after a couple of weeks, for me at least, it did, those kind of side effects did did wear off. And yeah, and I'm, I'm, still, I'm still taking it uh, today which is yeah and yeah. you're exactly right when you said it is so common and you know often we don't even though it's we're shedding more light on it and I guess we're trying to prompt more conversations about it but still so many women think that there's a there's something wrong with them or be like they're crazy if they share with someone how they're feeling um, about their mental health and I guess they put the blame on themselves they put the blame on you know I'm exhausted haven't slept it's just because of that but 
often there is something else going on and speaking out is so important and yeah thank you so much for sharing that with us because you know it opens a discussion and that's what this is all about is showing that you're not alone and like the supports that you had is incredible especially for yeah. someone with you know you said your fan like your mum is over in Australia which would have been so tough during this time too um it's just incredible that you were proactive and you were so open about what you're going through and sought help and now look at you you're doing so well yeah thank you I, I think it's yeah I think it's hard as well where we live in this, um, which is different from, I guess, what our mum sort of went through. Um, We live in this, like, social media world where Mm. if you're not, like, everything that's being projected on my Instagram, and this is my fault because I follow the people that I follow, is, like, Mm. motherhood's the best and, like, I'm enjoying every second and, you know, this is, and breastfeeding's easy for me and I love this and I was born for this and, blah 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 yeah um which is it's which is obviously not always the case um and people Mm. only put out what they um what they want people to see obviously uh so Mm. yeah but mum the mum guilt is huge and 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 crushing um and that's what I would say for any like new mums or anyone pregnant like just just be so careful what you what you kind of like surround if you're going to be on social media be be careful who you follow um try and follow some more like real well kind of instagram is a highlight reel we all know that and and for me too like obviously i i never my my nan's always like oh percy never cries he's such a good boy i'm like i'm not going to put a video of him crying (laughs) so you know you only see yeah you only see what people want you to see and you only hear what people want you to hear they don't want we don't talk about I guess some of the lows we always glorify the highs which yes is amazing and we need to do that too but it's often the low points that we need to normalize and speak up about because so many other people are going through it and you know postnatal depression is so common and over in Australia um we have panda the organization which is always available to anyone um here but men your partners husbands support people can also get postnatal depression um it's just becoming a parent a mom a dad anything is just such a big change and often as we've grown up we see that we have to be this happy mum you know we love breastfeeding and you know, all those sorts of things, which isn't always the case. And I think you've just highlighted that and touched on that so beautifully in this last couple of minutes because it's so true. And yeah, I just can't thank you enough for sharing your story and being so open and honest about it. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. It's, yeah. I, yeah, you've got to be open about it um, and just, yeah, help, help other mums where you can. So I think it's important for the for the partners as well um like they can be really uh like it's really helpful if they can pick up that something's not right as well because you may not notice it in yourself or you may be sort of not Mm. trying to realize it um yeah and they can be like you know hey this is not this is not you what's what's going on like let's chat let's let's get some support basically so yeah yeah and I guess 
we're nearly finished this episode, but one of my last questions is how are you going now? And I know that, you know, with Percy's feeding, um, you've got more of a different plan in place. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So um, I, uh, we, we did go on to formula eventually and I, I did express for, for quite a while and we were sort of doing combi feeding. Um, uh, but then like, as a lot of people know, expressing is like really, really hard. It's hard to, to schedule it in. It's hard to, you know, f- find the time basically. So um, I think at about, he was, must've been about four months when I stopped expressing. Um, and now he's just, yeah, he's just been on, on a formula ever since. And it is, you know, so freeing. Once I let that go that, you know, this is, you know, this is how it's going to be. This didn't work out this time. Um, yeah. But you know what? He's like still so healthy, reaching all these milestones, you know, and he's such a happier baby. Um, yeah. Once I saw the results, basically, once I saw the evidence, I was like, okay, this is the right track for us. So yeah, we've just been bottle feeding ever since. And um, it has made the world of difference and yeah yeah yeah, I and it was the right thing to do for you and for him and um I always say whatever way you want to feed your baby is the right way um I did an episode not long ago with Demi and Mel from Mister and we talk all about formula feeding and for some of the reasons that you've touched on why um women do it and yeah that should also be a open discussion as well yeah, definitely. I just, I, I mean, I understand why people put such an emphasis on breastfeeding, but I think it can, the whole like breast is best can be really damaging to women. Um, so yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't know how, but it would be great to like reframe that language a little bit and, um, and just be careful. It's a work to... in progress, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like everything in life. Um, but yeah, yeah but I'm doing so well now. Um, obviously, sadly, I'm back at work. But uh, mm. I, I was saying to my friend the other day, it would be so great if you could kind of do six weeks of your mat leave when they're tiny, go back to work for a little little bit, and like almost do your mat leave in chunks. To um, because yeah. he's you know what is he eleven and a half months now, and he's so busy. He's you know he's crawling, he's standing, he's cruising all around the furniture and. He's just got such a beautiful little personality. Mm-hmm. Um, so funny, so cheeky. Yeah, definitely keeping us on our toes for sure. But yeah, he's just and I am just so in love with being a mum now and and being yeah, and so in love with him and and yeah, we're just we're a very happy family now. And I, and a couple of months ago, it's almost I couldn't see us getting to this point. Like I couldn't see the Yeah the what is it wood for the trees the end of the table. Of the, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah exactly so but now yeah. it's just well just fantastic um yeah he's beautiful and I'm ready for number oh, two that, <laughs> oh I love that and oh. it's just so amazing what a journey full of highs and lows and yeah. you've just tackled it head on and you've just done such an amazing job and that brings me to our last little bit of Mons Fast Five. Yeah. Um, looking back, what's one piece of advice you would give yourself now that you're a mum? Oh, I think I think it's 
important if you can get your sort of support network support group in place before you have the baby um Mm -hmm. you know sort of obviously if if you've got family local like that that's a given just you know check check with them you know can you can you take a couple of weeks off work maybe can you take some annual leave to help me in those early days um if you want to if you do want to breastfeed and really make a go of it um could you possibly book a lactation consultant to come to your house before like you know book them for after the Mm. baby's born but book it before they're born so you've got that all in place um any friends that you can can call on for a couple of favors you know maybe ask them you know because people love to help but sometimes they just don't know how um and Mm. when you're in that kind of like early baby bit you're not going to know what you need. But if you're like, you could you yeah. give me some meals that I can put in the freezer? Could you do this? Could you do that? Be really specific. Um, I think that's not, really lasagna. Good. not lasagna. I feel like every single person does <laughs> lasagna. Definitely. Oh my goodness. It's every single person drops yeah, off yeah. lasagnas. I swear most lasagna. women say that. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, I don't want another lasagna. <laughs> yeah, I know. Give me, yeah, someone else. Give me a curry or something. Yeah. I got I got a, yeah, like but... quite a few curries, which was nice, but yeah, um, yeah. Personal service announcement: no lasagnas. Yeah, no, ex- exactly, exactly. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> I feel like it's everyone's go-to. I've heard it so many times. Yeah. Um, <laughs> number two, something you wish you weren't so hard on yourself for. Um. So yeah, definitely the breastfeeding. Um, because. I think in the end, like I know it's a cliche, but happy mum, happy baby, to be honest. Mm. Uh, and if you're not happy with yeah. your situation, then your baby will pick up on it and it'll just, you know, it's just not as happy of a household. So if you can breastfeed, yeah. brilliant. Um, if you need to supplement while you work towards getting the latch right or, you know, getting your supply right, then that's fine. If you don't want to breastfeed, all good, um, you know just yeah. yeah as as we said fed is fed is fed is best really in in the end in my in my yeah. mind anyway yeah mine too um number three one thing you wish you knew more about so I would but because I sort of yeah I was really really terrified of um obviously having an episiotomy having all these sort of birth injuries um and it I do want to say to people that um I'm my healing you know luckily has gone really well my pelvic floor is really strong because I kept doing my squeezes like after birth as well I went for a women's health physio check and you know I think they're Mm. really good um but it's not if you do have to have an instrumental birth or if your birth didn't work out the way that you planned um it's not the end it's not the end of the world you you will be okay and uh I would have looked at I would have wanted to know more about the like positive outcomes of births that involved medical intervention for sure because I think that really yeah clouded my view of how it was going to go yeah no I love that so positive and you know you did mention it but sex life still okay 
Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. All good, all good. No those concerns couple, there. First couple no of times, there. I was like, "Oh gosh!" I would just say, you know, get some, get some lube, take it slow. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I love yeah. that. Um, just, I just had know. to touch on it because it was a fear before that you had, and definitely. I mean, now it's not, which is amazing. No, no. Um, it's all good. <laughs> one thing you wish someone told you before becoming a parent. Um, I wish that someone had told me that the um, just the the phantom crying was normal, um, and mm. yeah, I just had never heard of that before. Um, but it is it even if you you're not sort of having mental health struggles after giving birth, you can still experience the phantom crying. Um, and it's really, I feel like I hear babies crying all the time. I'm sure you do. I'm sure. Yeah. Because you're, you're so like in that environment constantly. So I, I would just, I wish I knew that was normal. I wish I knew to almost expect that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and last but not least your favorite motherhood hack. I would say, um, if you're, if you've got in, inconsolable baby, um, you know, they've had their nappy changed they're, they're not going to sleep. They're not hungry. Um, a good thing to try when you're sort of at a loss is like either air. So I say air or water, like take them out for a walk, get them out in the fresh air. Also, mm. because cr- crying is not as la- not as loud to you outside as it is <laughs> indoors. Um, yeah. But oft- often just that change of scenery and like just the fresh air really, really does seem to calm them. Or water, so chuck them in a bath. <laughs> Get in the bath with yeah. them, like have some like really yummy like skin to skin in the bath, um, and it just seems to it for for purse it it works every time. Particularly the water, splash him with some water. He's he's a happy man. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story with us. It so was welcome. really amazing to listen to. And yeah, I'm very grateful that you were so open and honest. And I'm so glad that you're doing well and you're feeling well. And that now motherhood and parenthood is everything that you ever envisioned. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Midi. Your support means the absolute world to me. So if you loved this episode and want to stay up to date with the latest interviews and midwifery education, please hit the subscribe button and leave a five-star review. For further information about this episode, please check the show notes below. If you wish to share your pregnancy and motherhood experience, you can get in touch with me by emailing hello at themidisociety.com.au and find us on Instagram at at themidisociety or at Monique underscore Maitland. I cannot wait for you to join me next week. I'll be talking all things Flapchat. In the meantime, I hope you have an amazing week and remember you're doing the best you can.